Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Wednesday. Happy hump day to you and yours. We're just two days away from the weekend. Uh, this is one of my favorite days of the week. It's probably in my top seven of my favorite days of the week. Wednesday is in my top seven for sure. I can say that uh, factually. Uh, I have a fantastic uh, show planned for you guys. Of course, it's Wednesday, so we'll have some Tennessee Harmony at the back end of the show with Pastor Bobby Harrington and Pastor Anthony Walker from Renew.org. We'll talk with them about uh, Cam Newton and his comments about what he's looking for in a woman and you know how women don't know how to cook. They don't know when to be quiet. They don't know how to allow a man to lead. Uh, we'll get a biblical perspective on that. Uncle Jimmy will participate in that conversation as well. Uh, but we're going to spend the first half of the show uh, and the majority of this show talking about the events in New York City uh, that have shocked the country and shaken up New York. Uh, and we're going to do it with uh, some experts on the city of New York. Uh, I don't know if I could have uh, dreamed of two better guests to talk about this with than Bill O'Reilly from the uh, No Spin News uh, <coughs> Zone. <coughs> Zone, formerly, obviously, I don't need to tell you who Bill O'Reilly is. You guys know who he is. And Andrew Giuliani, the son of Rudy Giuliani. Uh, you know, you guys know the mayor of New York. Andrew Giuliani is now running for governor of the state of New York. And so we'll have both those guys on to talk about Frank James, uh, the shooting in the Brooklyn subway, and, and my contention that uh, Frank James may have fired a fatal shot into the reputation of New York City. And, and that's kind of what I want to talk with Bill O'Reilly and Andrew Giuliani about. Am I being hyperbolic? Am I exaggerating uh, the consequence of what happened in New York yesterday, and just I, I couple it with what has gone on in New York over the past two years with COVID and masking and, and just the lawlessness that we see pervasive throughout New York City. Uh, but b before, and I'm about to get to Bill, but before I do, I wanna play one little clip from New York and from yesterday's events uh, New York is one of the capitals of diversity, inclusion, and equity, and DIE as I like to call it. And we got to hear from the leaders of New York's diversity, inclusion, and equity movement, uh, the mayor of uh, New York City, Eric Adams, the uh, police commissioner, I believe her name is Keychant Sewell, uh, and uh, the governor, the unelected governor, Kathy Hochul, 
the diversity, inclusion, and equity was on full display yesterday. Uh, let's hear from them as they talked about the tragic events uh, that transpired in New York yesterday. We still uh, are zeroing in on the person of interest, and uh, we are sure we're going to apprehend him. New Yorkers who are waking up, many need to take the subway. A lot of people say if the, if the subway doesn't work, the city doesn't work. Is it safe for them? And you're right. Uh, the subway is the lifeblood of our city. And we're saying to New Yorkers, uh, we want you to be vigilant. Uh, we're going to have the patrol strength out there uh, to make sure, sure uniform presence is there. And, you know, New Yorkers are extremely vigilant. As we saw yesterday uh, after the incident, uh, New Yorkers were helping their fellow New Yorkers. And I cannot thank the first responders and everyday New Yorkers enough uh, for their bravery and their courage uh, to deal with this crisis we were facing. We are conducting a highly coordinated investigation that includes NYPD detectives, the FBI-NYPD Joint Terrorism Task Force, and the ATF, who have been instrumental in tracing the firearm and ballistics. The suspect is a dark-skinned male and was wearing a neon orange vest and a gray-colored sweatshirt. We do have a person of interest in this investigation, but we need the public's assistance with additional information. We're asking anyone with information to call Crime Stoppers at 800-577-TIPS. We know this incident is of grave concern to New Yorkers. We cannot lose sight of victims in this city. We will use every resource we can to bring those to justice who continue to prey on the citizens of New York. The people of the entire state of New York stand with the people of this city, this community, and we say no more. No more mass shootings. No more disrupting lives. No more creating heartbreak for people just trying to live their lives as normal New Yorkers. It has to end, and it ends now. And we are sick and tired of reading headlines about crime, whether they're mass shootings or the loss of a teenage girl or a 13-year-old. It has to stop. I'm committing the full resources of our state to fight this surge of crime, this insanity that is seizing our city because we want to get back to normal. It has been a long, hard two years. Bill O'Reilly, I want to thank you uh, so much for taking some time today and joining me. I couldn't think of a better person I would want to ask this question to. Uh, is New York going to recover from what has happened to its reputation in the city over the last two to three years with the COVID thing and now the lawlessness that's out of control? Am, am I being hyperbolic by saying that Frank James may have fired a fatal shot into the reputation of New York City. Possible. Um, but, you know, it can come back. The city can come back. Largest city in the country. 16 million people in a metro area has been misgoverned for the past uh, nine years. Governor Hochul is responsible directly for a lot of the street crime. Uh, she was a vanguard in the no bail law that Albany passed that allows criminals, violent criminals in some cases, to walk out within hours of their arrest by the police. She, Governor Hochul, has demoralized the New York City Police Department. So she's a rank hypocrite. No one listens to her. No one thinks it's gonna stop here because it isn't gonna stop here. What you have in New York City is a breakdown of social order.
because the police cannot enforce the laws. They have to be enforced by the district attorney, Bragg, who openly says, I'm not going to prosecute criminals if I don't feel like it. I'm not going to follow the law if I don't feel like it. So how did this come about? The far left, the progressive movement believes that criminals are victims, not the people they hurt. The criminals themselves are victims of a heinous, racist country, America. That's where you start. The white liberals, they are pushing that agenda. The police are racist. The police should be marginalized, defunded in some cases. Wherever that has taken root, Jason, you have a breakdown of social order. Now, in this case, you've got a guy who's a low-level thug, not particularly uh, a violent man in his past, but he wants to be caught and put in an institution. You don't do that if you don't want to be wiped off the board of society. He wants that. Now, most of these people, you may know this, they want to die. They go down in flames, okay, because they don't want to live anymore. This guy's running away, he's hiding. So he wants to be institutionalized for the rest of his life, which he will be. Now, my book, Killing the Killers, The Secret War on Terrorists, comes out on May 3rd. This in New York City yesterday is an act of terrorism. It's not a motivated crime. This guy wanted to instill terror in the city of New York and has succeeded to some extent. But getting back to your original question, can the city come back? Not if the progressives are running it. It will never come back if they continue to run the city and state of New York. Uh, Bill, I, I never have lived in New York, but I did live in Los Angeles from 2010 until 2020. And part of the reason I fled, and there was a multitude of reasons, but part of the reason I fled uh, Los Angeles and moved to Nashville is I, I wanted to get away from uh, the homelessness that was pervasive throughout LA. And I felt a lawlessness, again, particularly during the summer of George Floyd. Uh, I, I just, the, the progressive politics and the taxing, and again, there was a lot of reasons that I, I left, but I wanted to escape that. And I'm looking around at people looking to escape California. I'm looking at people escaping New York. And that's why I think this event here may be the, like the final straw of, of people leaving major cities, particularly those run by progressives and liberals and the whole defund the police crowd, and, and I'm not sure if people are going to return. I'm not sure if an election cycle or a new set of politicians can overturn a mindset where people are saying, you know what, these major cities, they're not safe. They're full of progressives. Their school systems uh, want to radicalize our kids sexually. Uh, they want our kids wearing masks constantly. And there's no law and order. I don't feel safe. I, I get that's why I, I just I look at and I know you have a long association with New York and I don't have that level of historical perspective. I know they've had crime problems before, but I just I just can't imagine New York's brand being more damaged than it is right now.
And the proof is in that New York County, which comprises the five boroughs of New York City, is the most fled county in the country. More people have left New York County than any other county in the United States of America. But we had a situation in the late 80s, early 90s in New York where there were crack wars and it was even more dangerous then than it is now, if you can believe it. It was a total breakdown of everything here. Giuliani was elected to clean it up. He did clean it up. Mike Bloomberg did continue that. And the city came back because it's the vibrant center of finance in the world. That can happen again. If I ran New York City, Jason, with all humility, this wouldn't be happening. It wouldn't be happening. Could I clean it up? I believe I could. But I'd be deemed a racist and a this and a that. You can do it, but it takes discipline. It takes strength. You've got to work with the New York City Police Department, 40,000 officers, biggest department in the country. You've got to encourage them to enforce the law, even the little laws. All right, you urinate in the street, you get a ticket, that's $100. You don't pay the ticket, it's $250 and two days in jail. That's how you break the cycle. The progressives don't want that. Again, they feel all these criminals are victims and they shouldn't be punished. But you can bring it back with a very strong administration that's going to hold people accountable for their behavior. What would you say to the people that would argue back like, hold on, Frank James is is the leading suspect. He's not a New Yorker. He was in Milwaukee not that long ago. He just came here. So he's not a New York problem. He's an outsider that that came in and caused trouble. I say the cleanup process for all these major cities are harder because we're in this radicalization culture that has corporate America has embraced that has pumped this message that America is irredeemably racist. You're a victim. Everything that happens to you is because of racism. And so Uh, Frank James potentially gets radicalized in another city and then comes to New York to act out his deranged, uh, you know, violent behavior. Well, look, he wanted to be famous. A lot of them do. Uh, He wanted his name everywhere. It is. I don't even mention his name, Jason, by the way. I'm not even going to I'm just going to say the guy who did it or the guy who's been arrested. He deserves due process. But you have now a climate where people know, deranged people know, violent people know that they can go out in what they call the cliche is a blaze of glory. And that's what why he did what he did. But here's something interesting. And I don't think your audience knows this. That was a big subway stop in Brooklyn in Sunset Park. They didn't have one working camera in that subway station. Not one. I'm mayor. The transit chief gets fired on the spot. Fired on the spot. Okay, you're done. Bring in the next person. Because this city doesn't care from the top on down, from Kathy Hochul to Mayor Adams. They don't care about the micro of life in New York, the day to day. That's where you have to start, Jason. You start down there and you work up. You start with saying you jump over that subway turnstile. It's a hundred dollar ticket, 250 if you don't pay it in two days in jail. That's what you do. Once that message gets out 
and the heroin people can't get their heroin because they're in jail for three days, then you're going to start to moderate behavior. That's what you have to do. See, you've, you, you just, and I'm so glad you made that point, you hammered my main reason why I'm so outraged is crime in New York has been escalating. The, the stats are everywhere. Crime everywhere. has been escalating. Crime in the subways has been escalating. Homeless people, the, the subway system has become a zoo. How can these politicians keep their jobs or any of, the, any of these elected officials the cameras aren't working. Crime's on the rise and your surveillance and is decreasing. Right. That's why I don't have confidence in any of these guys because I'm not sure if any of them are really there because of their competence or is it because New York has been overtaken by the diversity, inclusion and equity movement that is, it's a quota system rather than a qualifications meritocracy, meritocracy system. And trust me, I'm all for black leadership, as long as it's qualified and competent and the best man or woman for the job. I just don't think that's the standard in New York, and that's why I'm apprehensive about it ever returning. Well, look, it could return if New Yorkers, people who live here, say enough. I'm going to vote for the tough person, the law and order person. Number one, skin color should not be involved in any kind of governance at all on any level. The best person should be elected. The best person should be appointed. Number two, 80 percent of violent crime victims in New York City are either black or Hispanic. 80 percent. So who is suffering? Who? Poor minorities are suffering. The rich people have their own security. They live in secure buildings. Why aren't the 80 percent in the minority communities? Uh, and it's higher than that because a lot of crimes aren't reported. Why aren't they rebelling? Why aren't they in the streets? Why aren't they George Floyding it? Why? Two reasons. They're afraid. And they don't trust the system as you don't. They don't trust the system. The only solution to that problem, because you need the poor and the people of color to vote for law and order. You need that. You don't have that now. They vote against their own interests. They know they're being brutalized. They still vote for the Kathy Hochul's. All right. It's inexplicable. The only way that turns around is if the clergy in those neighborhoods get out and organize against the violence. Yet you don't see any of them do it. Not one does it. That's the solution, but it doesn't seem to be happening. I'm going to disagree with you on your last point. I've seen Al Sharpton many times hop on a private plane and head to Milwaukee <laughs> or Kenosha right. or Ferguson. And so That's a separate I, I, conversation. I have to disagree with you. You want to know about Al Sharpton? You have me back and I'll tell you about Al Sharpton. Okay? It's all about the money for Al. It's all about the uh, currency, the Benjamins, as they call it. But you know what I'm talking about. The clergy in the poor neighborhoods have the power. They are silent. I'm just stunned I think, about it. I think the clergy is silent everywhere, Bill. I think that uh, pastors from suburbs to inner cities to yeah, rural they, places, see, Jason, many. 
They see their own people getting gunned down, getting beaten to a pulp, getting addicted to heroin. It's right there, right there. In the suburbs, built- it's not right there. I get it. But this secular society that we have created, again, we have abandoned the Judeo-Christian values that made this country great. Don't be a clergyman. Don't get don't go to don't do that job. If you don't have the courage to do what Jesus would do when he overturned the money changers tables and the temple, putting himself at grave risk. If you don't have that courage, get out. We'll end on that note, because I totally agree with that. So uh, thank you, Bill. Really appreciate it. I got to move on. I got to get to Andrew Giuliani. Uh, The mayor's son uh, is next. But before I get to him, I want to tell you about our good friends at Good Ranchers. America has a meat problem because almost everything in the grocery store is sourced to process overseas. That's why you need to see our friends over at Good Ranchers. With Good Ranchers, your meat problem will be solved and forgotten. They only sell 100% American meat sourced from local American farms. You will receive the best USDA prime and upper choice beef chicken that's better than organic and premium seafood all at a price and quality that can't be matched by your local grocery store. And you'll be able to get all of this delivered right to you in the comfort of your home. Get your $30 discount on prime steaks and better than organic chicken. Go to goodranchers.com fearless to save on the quality you've been looking for. Use my promo code fearless and enjoy your box of 100% American meat and your $30 savings Order now to combat inflation with Good Ranchers American Meat Delivery. You know, I'm gonna add a little personal note here. I meant to bring in uh, the video. I have uh, an adopted little brother. Uh, He's in his 30s now, uh, Blake May. He sent me video of him in his backyard or in his kitchen, I'm sorry, uh, chopping up all his Good Ranchers meat. And he cooked a bunch of steaks and chicken and everything, and he was, you know, sent me the video because he was feeding his whole family. It couldn't have just been his wife and his two young kids. Uh, and so my friends, the people close to me, my loved ones are all jumping in on the Good Ranchers deal. And, and I'm t- my friends love good, high quality meat. They would never, when I'm talking about Blake May, the guy would never eat anything that wasn't of the best quality. He's a good, fearless soldier. You need to be a good, fearless soldier. Feed your army, goodranchers.com, meet, slash fearless. Use my promo code, get $30 off. All right, stick around. Andrew Giuliani, he's running for governor in New York. You know his dad, Rudy, quite well. Uh, Andrew worked uh, for Trump in the Trump White House, uh, a friend of mine. We'll get his take on New York. Next. All right, welcome back. Uh, We're gonna swing out to the state of New York and bring in Andrew Giuliani, the son of Rudy Giuliani. He's running for governor of the state of New York, Uh, the perfect person to ask about the events in New York. And my concern or my question, uh, has the brand of New York City been so damaged by the last two to three years with the COVID mandates and mass mandates, and now the lawlessness that has overrun uh, New York City. And 
with the exclamation point of the events with the alleged suspect, Frank James, and the shooting at the Brooklyn subway. Uh, Andrew, I just, I want to start right there and just ask you, uh, has New York's brand been so damaged that it will never fully recover? Well, I think we've taken a hit the last couple of years, but I do think that we can recover. Uh, it's just going to take the right leadership. I mean, just think about New York. Go back to the late 80s and early 90s. And there was a very famous Time magazine cover in 1991 that called New York City the rotting apple. Well, guess what? With great policy and great leadership in the 90s and 2000s, New York went from being one of the most dangerous cities in the country, in the world, to being the safest large city in the country. Uh, we were able to track amazing investment here in New York. You had families that were, that were built here, uh, businesses, jobs created, uh, great education. But now, unfortunately, with Bill de Blasio and unfortunately Eric Adams, uh, who I had some hope for, uh, in the first 100 days of his administration, we've just seen more of de Blasio 2.0 instead of actually taking the steps uh, that I think some thought that he might. Uh, so for me, I look at it this way. Yeah, we're a little bit damaged and beaten up. But I think with the right leadership within six months to a year, we can turn New York around like this. But look, it's going to have to take a pro-safety agenda. It's going to have to take looking at bail reform and eliminating it. And by the way, Jason, it's also going to take maybe not being in the highest tax state or competing with California to be the highest tax state in the country also. Well, m my concern is that the voting base has perhaps changed and or been so radicalized that will we be able to get this? Because again, if you replace de Blasio with Eric Adams, have you really done, have you really improved things? And so do you think the average New Yorker understands and <laughs> I know this is illegal to talk about, but are, isn't in local elections? Eric Adams is talking about letting illegal immigrants vote. And so I, I'm these policies and radical policies by by the left, I think they know they're in trouble, but they're trying they're screwing with the voting system and democracy to such a level. I just can, can we be confident that these guys can be voted out? Well, I think and taking the, the last concern first on this in terms of what's been highlighted and and having now what would be 800,000 illegal immigrants vote in New York City specifically. Little background about that. Actually, this was passed during the lame duck session of the New York City uh, Council uh, last November. Bill de Blasio actually was so confident that it would not stand up to a legal challenge that he did not sign it. I mean, liberal leftist Bill de Blasio, who's closer to the communist than he is a capitalist, would not sign this. Eric Adams, in true Eric Adams, speak out of both sides of your mouth fashion, decided not to actually sign it into law. He decided to actually let the 30 days expire so it would come into law because I think he knew that there would be legal challenges. And he wanted to make sure that he placated the base by making sure he didn't veto it while also not putting his pen to paper and saying, yes, we support this. But they specifically did it focused in New York City because in the New York State Constitution, it says clearly you need to be a resident and citizen of the state of New York. It says it twice, actually, in the article. I believe 
believe it's Article 2, Section 1, for those who want to look it up, in the New York State Constitution. But nothing, it said nothing in the city charter because obviously they thought that they would defer to the state constitution on this. Uh, so for me, I think this is going to have a real legal challenge. I don't think this will stand up in court, just even taking radical Bill de Blasio's word on this, uh, and he's as left as they get. Um, but in terms of, I think, a really good model for Americans to look at, what the New York gubernatorial race is going to look like in November of this year, just go back to November of last year and look at two blue states, Virginia and New Jersey. Virginia obviously being a close win for Youngkin, the Republican, and New Jersey being a close loss for Cittarelli, the, the Republican. It's going to be on our campaign to make sure it is a close win here in New York. Uh, there are similar demographics to the other two states in seeing what we saw in the local parts of New York City and around New York City. It went so much more red than we even expected in 2021. It's going to be a close race come November 8th of this year. It's going to be on our campaign and, our, and on our supporters to make sure that we get it over the finish line and we make sure that New York ends up being in that big red wave that we're going to see nationally. Andrew, uh, the thing that I find most outrageous about yesterday is that crime is surging all over New York, New York City. Uh, the stats are overwhelming. Crime in the subways, the homeless people in the subways. And somehow, with all this surging crime, the cameras aren't working in this subway system. That that to me, uh, and we just had Bill O'Reilly on and said, hey, someone in the transportation department has to be fired immediately. There must be new leadership. I, I don't understand how crime could be surging and surveillance inside these subway systems where crime is really surging yeah. aren't functioning. That's amazing to me. Look, I saw in October, literally on the four train, which is right around Bryant Park, Midtown Manhattan, I saw a drug deal happen on the four train at about four o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Um, this is just happening all across our great city here. But I can tell you one of the things that I would start doing on day one, not to bore your, your watchers here, but on, on one of the things that the governor has control of is the MTA, which means the subways, the LIRR, and the Metro North. That goes back to Robert Moses taking power away from LaGuardia in the 40s, a big, a big power struggle. So he sent it up to Albany. The governor has more board seats. On day one as governor, what I would do is I would pour resources, I would put together a safety program to make sure that the MTA, that our subways are safe. And it's a user-friendly and clean experience for all New Yorkers. Because I can tell you, there's going to be nothing that puts more pressure on a Mayor Adams to clean up the streets than if below ground New Yorkers are having a safe and clean subway experience. So for me, as governor, when I look at my control and what I can do starting on day one, that's where I'm going to pour resources from a safety and a crime perspective. And then I'll work with Mayor Adams on ways to actually get crime above ground under control. I think just by doing that, it's going to put a lot of pressure on him to find the answers. So tell me how you rally the morale of police, first responders, uh, MTA workers like you're talking about, when they've been so demonized over the last two to three years, five years, whatever, the morale, and many of them lost jobs over the COVID vaccine. 
How do you, again, I don't think there can be law and order or return to order unless the morale uh, of police, law enforcement is rallied and, and we're living, again, you, you talk about uh, the subway system. When I, was, when I was driving in this morning to our studio, I was listening to uh, someone on Fox News explain how there was a, a law or some, someone was trying to hire more subway security and AOC and others fought against it and he actually argued, we don't need more security at the subway. Anyway, how do you win back the support and the enthusiasm of law enforcement so that you can clean up New York? Well, there's a general mood and a couple of specific policies that I think can turn this around very quickly. First and foremost, law enforcement needs to know that they have a governor in a Governor Giuliani who is gonna stand with them in the gray areas. Look, we know policing is very difficult and we know that when proactive policing is done right, there are gray areas that officers get in. There are bang, bang moments uh, that are very, very difficult to figure out. I know some friends personally that have been involved in them right there. Look, if a police officer willfully does something illegal, they deserve to be held to the fullest extent of the law. But if they're doing something in order to keep their community safe and they're trying to be proactive rather than reactive, they need a political leader that's gonna stand with them if the intent is not to do anything illegal or to do anything immoral right there. They're gonna have in a Governor Giuliani, somebody that's not gonna get blown around by the political winds, somebody that's gonna look at AOC's comments and probably do the opposite almost every single time because that's honestly what's gonna keep our city safer and our state safer. Uh, and specifically from a policy standpoint, what a governor can do in New York right now that's gonna help law enforcement more than anything is repeal bail reform. Jason, if you look at the crime surge in New York City and across New York State, this is not just New York City, this is Rochester having the most murders ever in recorded history last year, Buffalo up 40%, Albany up 35%. The overlay, when you overlay bail reform with the increase in crime, it is an exact moment almost from when Andrew Cuomo signed that bill into law. And for me, it's very simple. On day one, I sit down with the Speaker of the Assembly and the Speaker of the State Senate and say, we have a budget negotiation coming up. These are your priorities until you repeal fully bail reform. I am not gonna fund those priorities. It's as simple as that. Am I being too hard on law enforcement or the police or, I don't know. Help I, I me understand. Way, yeah, I, I would look at it this way. I think this is the result of defunding the police and getting rid of the plain clothes unit. I mean, what they've done is they've taken police and good police, some of our most talented here in New York, and they've chased them out of the department. Uh, this is what happens. And unfortunately now, in looking at some of our classes coming up, you have less and less people applying to, to the NYPD, to the state police, to the Schenectady Police Department all across the state. And it's because of that reason. When you push it to fund the police narrative, when you take the plainclothes unit, which has been tremendously successful in New York, you got to remember, in the early 90s, there were four years in a row with over 2,000 murders a year. That number just five short years ago was under 300 murders a year. Think about all the time, all the effort that took 
from the departments to coordinate that with the mayor's office and even the liberal city council on that, who wasn't crazy at the time, but liberal and had some different ideas, but they still understood that crime was the number one issue. This is the result, not of the police, but this is the result of politicians neutering the police. And that's why we need a politician that's going to back our boys in blue, boys and women in blue, and who's going to push to make sure that they're doing everything they possibly can to have the resources, fully funded resources, to make sure we keep our streets safe. Andrew, uh, thank you for the time. I, I, I think um, it's obvious that, you know, New York City and the state of New York need some type of rebound like your dad orchestrated in New York City years ago. Uh, I wish you well. Um, hope that, you know, come November, uh, you're the man in New York and, and we're looking at a different New York. But I got to admit, I'm, I'm, I'm just a bit skeptical. I, I've never felt like this about it because I used to come to New York, do the TV show, The Sports Reporters for years when I was working for ESPN. I love New York. Right now, I've had no desire to, to, to come to New York. It, it just, I don't care how good the food is and it's great, but <laughs> I, I don't want any parts of New York right now. And I hope you can do something to change my mind. We're going to change that. I, I would urge you to go back and look at the sentiment in the early 90s and how quickly we were able to turn that around. With the right leadership, we'll turn it around again. Plus, I'm going to have to have you to the governor's mansion last year. I mean, the first time we met was in the White House, after all. So I figure a good second one is in the governor's mansion in Albany. So let's put that on the calendar for next year. Awesome. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Uh, get your fearless army swag at shopblazemedia.com slash fearless. Uh, Tennessee Harmony. America. All right, welcome back. Time for some Tennessee Harmony. And of course, we're joined by uh, Pastor Bobby Harrington, Pastor Anthony Walker from Renew.org. We also, uh, because I think uh, Jimmy needs to hear this conversation, we have Uncle Jimmy here as well, because we're going to talk about Cam Newton's comments about women. And, you know, Jimmy told me how much he agreed with him. And I was like, oh, man, you need Jesus this week, Jimmy. So I'm going to bring you into the Tennessee Harmony segment, and we'll get some uh, advice. You ain't going to let Bobby lay hands on me, are you? No, uh, <laughs> although I love your nickname, the biblical bully, Bobby <laughs> Harrington. <laughs> Bobby has a, anyway, uh, let's take the jokes out of and uh, bless this conversation, gentlemen, before we have it. God, we uh, just ask you to be present and uh, guide us, uh, not just Jimmy and uh, Jason and Anthony and I, but everybody who's watching. Help us, God, to be closer to what you want. Father God, as we continue, as always, let our words and the meditation of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So uh, Cam Newton, the NFL quarterback who's currently jobless, went on a podcast, I think called the Million Dollars Worth of Game podcast, and started talking about his family, his upbringing, his parents married 36, 37 years, his dad being the perfect representation of a man, he had the perfect role model. And then he skidded off the road into talking about his philosophy on women 
included a lot of profanity and just, he gave a hip hop explanation, I think, of mm. his philosophy on women. Some of it, it, it was all, anyway, let, let's play the clip of Cam, and then I got a few questions for our ministers here. That, man, I had a, a perfect, a perfect example of what a man was in my life by my father. Mm -hmm. My parents have been together for 36, 37 years now, and it's, and it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew up in a three-parent household, my mom, my father, and my grandmother. And uh, I knew what a woman was, not a bad bitch. Mm -hmm. Okay, what's the difference? A woman. Okay. A bad bitch is a person who's just, you know, girl, I'm a bad bitch, you know, I'm doing mm -hmm. this, I'm doing that. I, 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 I looked apart, but I don't act apart. Okay. You know, and it's a lot of women who are bad bitches, and I say bitches in, in, in a way not to degrade a woman, but just to, to, to go off the aesthetic of what they deem is a boss chick. Mm -hmm. Now, a woman for me is handling your own, but knowing how to cater to a man's needs. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think a lot of times when you get that aesthetic of like, I'm a boss, bitch, like I'm a this, I'm a dad. No, baby. Like, but you can't cook. OK. You don't know. You don't know when to be quiet. You mm -hmm. don't know how to allow a man to lead. Mm -hmm. I'm not just about to sit up there and beat up my, my, my queen. No, I ain't saying like that. Yet. But I'm also going to going to also tell the men to start being men, bro. Absolutely. Like, that that sucker shit should not be rewarded. And what sucker shit? So, you know, when 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 a person when a person carries himself social media wise, and it's a fraud. So, that's Cam Newton. We got to remember his age and level of delusion. He's made hundreds of millions of dollars. He's an athlete. And so, you know, I don't want to give him too much of the benefit of the doubt, but I, to some degree, I, I think I understand what he's trying to say. He's not unpacking it properly. And, you know, to me, he lacks some self-awareness uh, because one thing, and again, he's not my age. I'm 20, 22 years older than Cam. But one thing I think I've figured out about myself is Maybe the reason why I was attracting bad bees instead of what I really needed and wanted is because there was something I was doing wrong. And that's what I, I, I didn't hear from Cam or whatever, but I, I don't know if his dad was a deacon in a church and a minister in a church. Again, his parents together for 37 years. He's got a biblical foundation, I think, to work with. But uh, guys, help, help me out. What is your reaction to the way Cam unpacked that? Anthony has a little bit more background on Cam. <laughs> I'm going to get him to start. You know, I, it, it shocks me because you talk about his background. Okay, you've got what he says is the perfect role model and a father, but he decided not to walk in those footsteps. Uh, he's got seven kids by three different women. Uh, Cam does. Are you sure? Because I, I went with five by 
two different women. But well, there's the allegation. I'll leave it at the allegation gotcha. that there was a model that, uh, of a child that he claims as his own, yeah. wished him happy birthday to my king, et cetera, et cetera. We'll go with five or seven. However, he chose not to walk in that path. So there's something that he felt like even this path that I was brought up in, it must not have been good enough. But then the other side of it, which is a part of the delusion that you point out, when I was coming up, you know, we talked about and heard about you got to stay home and take care of your family. But now we live in a society where if I can make it happen, then I can do whatever I want. So if I'm a hundred millionaire kind of guy, I can sleep without protection. If what if I have 15 kids by so many different women, I can financially take care of them. But are you a father to those kids? Are you in their life, fathering them, leading them in the path of Christ. That that to me is, is, you know, when he talks about men need to man up, that's being a man, you know, male by, you know, gender, but man by responsibility. That that's that part. But it just intrigued me to hear that from him being critical of women knowing when to be quiet and how to handle their own. And Cam, we got to first look at the mirror, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't, don't be scared. You're the biblical bully. <laughs> <laughs> you got to stop that. <laughs> so um, I think that Cam represents a whole generation that's really confused on this, and it makes me sad. So one of the things I really appreciate about Fearless is that your call for men to be men and to lead, <clears throat> it's not just men being men, but to embrace the way God made them and to embrace the way Jesus wants them to live. And that's so great that you do that today. But I think we got to be really clear about this stuff. Because I think that if you are not clear, people will be like Cam Newton and they just invent what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, he can put down women, but as Anthony pointed out, what, what's he doing? How's he living? And you got to have both. If you're going to advocate what the Bible says, it cuts both ways. So the man's got to be a leader like Jesus was, who laid down his life for his church, which is his wife. And uh, we've got to be like that with our wives, laying down our lives for them. And my experience is most women don't have a hard time following a man like that. And I, I don't I don't want to necessarily even put out the, the fact that Cam has to be perfect in order to speak the truth, speak the truth, but acknowledge it even for himself. It would be different if Cam were to say, you know, I'm not the standard either. These are what this is what the standard is, according to the word of God, because I don't want to get that mixed up either. That Everybody has to be perfect in order for them to express the truth. We can express the truth. And that truth, as he said, it hits both ways. It's going to hit me. It's going to hit Cam and it's going to hit the women that he is criticizing. We have a contrast. If it's all right with you, Jason, I'd like to share the contrast because I think uh, Cam is living in the midst of the chaos and he's trying to figure it out based on a good example uh, that he pointed to of his father. Uh, And I, I just think we're in chaos right now as a culture when it comes to marriage, uh, men and women relationships, sexuality, and and the chaos is going to continue until we go back to the way God created us to be. So I'd like to show you some contrasts. You ready for it? Yeah, go ahead. All right, so I've called it Satan's plan because that's the plan we're on right now. And uh, the ultimate fruit of Satan's plan is Sodom and Gomorrah. 
in, described in the Bible, uh, where people have just totally lost their way. So uh, here's what's going on. I'm, I'm going to give you seven contrasts. Here's what Satan's doing right now. Gender itself is no longer tied to biology, right? People, what you feel is what you are. Um, you've done a good job pointing that out earlier in the week. Nobody can tell their sons what it uniquely means to be a man today. Fathers can't do it because, like, on what basis are you going to do that? Nobody can tell their daughters what it uniquely means to be a woman. So we're raising people who don't know what it is to be a man, don't know what it is to be a woman. So a high number of teens and young adults are now confused about whether they should identify as male or female or gender fluid. Catch this. I want to stop you right there because mm -hmm. I, I, want, I want to address don't know what it is. No, you said that I'm the Bible bully, so I'm not going to yield. I'm just kidding. Uh, because this is where Cam's taken a lot of heat. He, he basically has described a role that he wants a woman to play, and people are offended by the role. Can't cook, don't know when to be quiet, won't follow male leadership. Is, and, and I don't have a problem with that. My problem is like, hey, Cam, you have to be worthy of being followed. <laughs> and, and just like you said earlier, if you're worthy of being followed, you'll be shocked. There'll be some women that will follow you yeah. and men. <laughs> uh, and, and then uh, he's saying that cater to a man's needs. I wish that he had said and I'll be willing to cater to her needs. And if her needs are monogamy, matrimony, put a ring on me, uh, uh, be my spiritual guide, if those are, are you willing to meet those needs? And, and again, I think what we have come to is just like, I've said that most great leaders, or all great leaders, are great followers. And, and so if there's no willingness to follow, I'm, I don't think you're a great leader. And that's why most of the great football coaches, and again, I've done studies on this, they're great followers of Christ. And so, again, so the willingness to follow is an indication of what type of leader you will be. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I just think Cam, and, and again, I've, I've been there, and this is why I'm kind of sympathetic. Money will create a delusion that the rules don't apply. <laughs> I need to follow somebody. All this mm -hmm. money I'm making, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the way people treat me, blah, blah. But, but that's where I think we fail in explaining to men. And these, this is one thing I have always believed and even as a young person, I just, my dad uh, told me this one day, we were sitting on the couch or whatever. You accept anything from anybody, there's a responsibility that goes along with that. Mm -hmm. And so I've tr I used to say to guys, even when I was younger, just because just my dad put this on, and my dad was a ladies man, he, and he only, he's married to my mom, only kids he had was, but my dad was a ladies man. but. I've always tried to say, like, when, 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 when you accept intimacy from a woman, you better be willing to accept the responsibility that goes along with that. 
And, and don't just think you can just, it's not an ATM where you do endless ATM, you can just take out, take out. If you don't go to the bank and put some money in it, that ATM is going to reject your card eventually. Anyway, I, I'm wow. saying a lot to, just to say that there's two sides to this story and we need, and, and where I wanted to go with the question is, what do you think of his somewhat primitive uh, examples of I wanted to be able to cook, I wanted to know yeah. when I need some peace and quiet. W what do you think of his well, primitive experience? I, I was gonna um, get to, what I was trying to do is show when we don't have any guidance from God, we make up the rules on our own, and here's where the thing's going, and it's, it's going to break down, and, and uh, whatever you feel is gonna be good enough. Uh, uh, so the whole idea of men and women uh, not being different, which is what our society's embraced, has really bad consequences, not just in marriages. Um, so I, I would just say this. Um, I'll tell you what, let's go through. I want to stop you. Let me drive. Let me drive. <laughs> I, I hear you biblical bully, but let me drive. <laughs> and I mean that with love, Bob. If I, if I'm joking because I love you. Because I, I, again, I, I want to make sure we hammer some of these points. Me and Jim were talking beforehand. Okay. Uh, and Jim brought up, because I was like, Jim's been married, and Jim's had relationships with women or whatever, and I just was giving him a way to talk about this. And, then get, and so Jim talked about equally yoked, that being in the Bible, mm -hmm. and that people not having a full understanding of what equally yoked means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jim interpreted, and I think most guys interpret, well, that means equally yoked, that means she needs to be making as much money as me, or she got to have as much education as me. What does equally yoked mean? So there's a couple of uh, interpretations of how, what that means. Yoke, from a biblical standpoint, is uh, the, the apparatus that you would put on two oxen. So the oxen are carrying the load simultaneously. That's the yoke. And so if one person is you know, carrying most of the weight, the other is not, they are unequally yoked. So in, in some religious circles, that unequally yoked context means a believer and a non-believer. That's how many people interpret that. So if one is a believer and one is not, you're unequally yoked. How that plays out is when the load of life comes on you, opposition, uh, life's trial, tribulation, etc., you're going to be pulling on different sources of strength. Somebody's going to be pulling on God to get us out of this. And the other person's going to say, look, I know from the streets how to get out of this. You're unequally yoked. You're not going to handle things. Now, that's a primary interpretation of that text. There are some other lesser ones. People look at it as being a compatibility situation as well. We don't operate the same. But primarily people look at that as your belief status, your faith status, one who's faithful and one who's not faithful. Do you have anything to add to that, Bob? No, I think uh, the way Anthony described it is right. It's, it's from 2 Corinthians. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing that happens today is that uh, you're going to be unequally yoked if you're trying to follow Jesus and the person that you're married to isn't, or you're going to have a chaotic yoking if 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 you only have half of what the Bible says and then the other half you're making it up. Mm -hmm. So the best way to have a good marriage is that you're both following what Scripture says and you're both committed to it equally because it creates a, a, 
a fantastic harmony that brings out the best in men and the best in women. Now go back to your contrast. <laughs> I'm sorry, Bob. Go ahead. Go back to your Oh, contrast. my contrast? Yes. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'll be going to punch you, man. You keep it up. He's going to punch you. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> they have them on the screen. So uh, now, let me just do them real quick. Gender itself is no longer tied to biology. Nobody can tell their sons what it uniquely means to be a man. Nobody can tell their daughter what it uniquely means to be a woman. Uh, and again, this is what's coming out with Cam. Uh, he's got a different idea. A high number of teens and young adults are confused about the whole thing. This shocked me. Recent stats one in five, over 20% of Gen Z identifies as LGBTQ+. Okay, one in five. Uh, the baby boomer generation, my generation, it was only 2.6%. Mm. So you're just talking about the whole influence and in culture leading to the breakdown. Let me, let me ask a cl question of clarification there because I hear that talked about a lot. I think they would argue, the other side would argue, yeah, your generation lied. They were forced yeah. to, couldn't get a job. If, and, and now, again, what has turned is it's almost flipped. If you're not on board with yeah. the LGBT, now you're ostracized <clears throat> in the workplace. And that's what I was talking about earlier in the week about this, how Disney has feminized and, and corrupted the culture to the point that if you don't believe certain things in corporate America, there's jobs you're gonna be excluded from and leadership positions you're gonna be excluded from. And so you have to pretend or hop fully on board with the LGBT agenda mm. or you can't rise in corporate America. And so they would say your generation just went along with the lie. Oh yeah, I'm heterosexual because that's what you needed to be to get a leadership position. I have something to say about that, but I'm going to finish my list first. Say something about that and then finish your list. Okay. <laughs> Let's don't <laughs> continue. <laughs> You're breaking my continuity. Okay. Uh, so here's uh, I've I've spent a lot of time looking at the background on this. And uh, do you know that the, I'm a Canadian, so the Canadians did the most extensive study ever done on this, and they concluded, and this, this came out around the year 2000, that 2.9% uh, of the Canadian population uh, was either homosexual or struggled with homosexuality, just 2.9% of the population. Of course, now you've got Gen Z where it's over 20% uh, where that's coming out. And we just have to acknowledge that right now, we have made it really cool to question your sexuality and to experiment with your sexuality. And that's exactly what these kids are doing. It's exactly what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. It was common in the ancient world. Uh, in fact, some of the Romans talked about that they had uh, young boys, uh, for sex, uh, sexual pleasure, and women to procreate and have children. And so you've just got to realize that when, when we get messed up in terms of our boundaries that God created for us sexually, that it creates all kinds of chaos. I mean, uh, the Bible describes people who don't have these boundaries, how really far they end up going, uh, incest and the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just chaos. And, and right now they'll say about the previous generation that it was there. I'm sure that the impulses and the tendencies, they're just part of being a human being.
being. But that's why we need God's guidance so that especially at a young age, we know how to channel those sexual desires and we know the kind of people God wants us to be. And so that we become the masters of our feelings, our feelings and our temptations don't become the masters of us. I want to ask Anthony something, and it applies to you as well, Bob, but I'm going to start with Anthony. In your congregation, are you guys not dealing with people in your congregation that are in the workforce and feel these pressures and know that like the pressures are getting, well, this is biblically unsound. How do I deal with this? I have a family to feed. Mm-hmm. I got uh, kids to put through school, mm-hmm. clothes to put, you know, house to keep over their head. And this job is requiring me basically, particularly if I want to move up to abandon my biblical beliefs and worldview. Are, are y'all not dealing with this regularly? I did a study during the pandemic on the book of Romans. Um, and that is where Paul is really writing the church on how to operate in a world that's backwards. Another good passage to study is 1 Peter. 1 Peter actually goes through different sectors of life, you know, being in government, how you operate as a child of God, being in uh, the, the common populace, how to operate as a child of God. Those same things were going on then that are going on now, as far as living in a culture that's backwards from what God teaches us. But then from a very practical perspective, I'm also teaching my congregation, hey, you've got skills, gifts and abilities that God gave you. And if all that's holding you back is getting a certification or getting a, a you know, loan, et cetera, et cetera, start your own business. And, and, and that now takes things away from, well, I got to work for X, Y, Z, who does? I got to work for, hey, you can set this path up. Now, I, I'm not going to tell everybody immediately, okay, let's rip out of from whatever we are. Because in some cases, you can be a decision maker in those instances. To, you don't know because this, that, and the other. I know because we can't show this to kids or we can't do this to kids. So in some elements, that's okay. But if you're in a situation where, you know, I've got a young man that uh, is a member of my church where they're now having to adopt the pronoun situation to where, you know, he had was at work one day and come back a few weeks later. And now one of his co-workers is now identifying as something else. He talks about the struggles of that, but he also talks about, you know, yeah, I need to kind of change up situation here because that doesn't arrive with my conscious. And I, I understand that. So all of those categories. But yeah, to answer your question, uh, Book of Romans, a good study on it. And uh, First Peter is a good one as well. I mean, let me ask you the question this way, because we've had conversations, you and Anthony and I, I continue to have conversations with T.J. Moe, Delano uh, about part of my vision for a church. Part of the reason why I'm like the church has to be the foundation of virtually everything because this world has fallen apart. And so I'm part of my vision. Like the church is going to have to provide jobs because people corporate America is running church people out. They either have to betray what they truly believe to move up and survive. And that's why I, I, you know, because TJ Moe and I were 
talking about it, I think this weekend, we exchanged some sermons, and, and he was like saying, and I used to be against mega churches, and because and I grew up in a very small church, and I don't like churches where the minister doesn't know the people in the congregation and all that other stuff, but it may be the only path to protect, you know, to allow men to be who they are we're gonna to have to give them jobs too. Yeah, so I've got some friends that we're working on this. <clears throat> Not only are you going to try to create scenarios where you're helping people to create jobs and the members of the church are creating jobs, you become a lot like uh, Jewish people had to do throughout history or the Mormons have had to do uh, because you've got to create a, a parallel, uh, almost a parallel life if people are really gonna follow what scripture teaches. So, uh, yes, I think churches should uh, really focus on helping their people to thrive and be who God wants them to be. The best vision of a church in the Bible is it's the city on a hill. It's this alternative community. It's this group of people who live the way God teaches. And they're a bright, shining light for everybody to see the better way to go. Mm -hmm. Go back to your list. Mm -hmm. You're at number four, I believe, or number five. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so uh, number five, or number four, you're, no, number five, sexual immorality, bisexuality, and homosexuality, homosexuality become fashionable. I just want to call it out because we've, uh, we've stopped doing it because it's looked at as uh, fundamentalistic and narrow-minded. But the truth of the matter is that you've got a lot of the character traits of, of Sodom and Gomorrah are becoming a part of popular American culture. Uh, and... You know, that ought to just, anybody who knows what the Bible says, that ought to make us a little bit concerned. Marriage itself is in crisis. Many are giving up on marriage. Uh, polyamory, where it's one person, uh, like a, a woman with two men or, or uh, 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 two women with one man, is becoming very, very uh, popular. So it's chaos, confusion, and it ultimately leads to, like, this is not good for human beings. This is not human thriving. This is the breakdown of relationships. It'll, it's causing the increase in anxiety, mental illness, depression. And it's not how human beings thrive. In contrast to that, let's talk about if we follow what the Bible says, what God's plan is. First, God created males and females to be complementary. Yeah, Complement each other. <laughs> Complementarian. <laughs> Secondly, God created male headship authority in the beginning. The created order is such that God made men to lead like Jesus. It's leadership, but it's to lead like Jesus. And male headship in the home means that husbands mimic Jesus. Like my model is, how am I going to treat my wife the way Jesus treated the church? Wives respond to the headship or authority of their husbands by following uh, the way the church follows Jesus. So that, that means that for a woman, she's really got to follow her husband's leadership. In the church, male headship in the local church is reflected in the teaching authority role and what the Bible calls elders. Like elders are like the fathers of the church, the local church. Men and women are to submit to in to and honor the authority of male headship in the church. Like, it's not just that women do it, men do it too. 
because it's God's created order that causes us to thrive. And then number seven, honoring uh, Jesus-style male headship will bring blessings on the family and on the church. It's like the best for human beings. And I think actually we have a, a slide where if you are watching this and want to follow up, uh, we have a detailed presentation on this uh, on renew.org that you can look at to see these two ways that are contrasted. So if I were to summarize your thoughts, you totally endorse what Cam Newton said, beside the profanity. <laughs> He's gonna punch you, buddy. <laughs> That's the only reason you wanted me out here today, just in case Bobby reached over and slapped me. <sighs> I, I'm, and maybe I'm, I'm wrong and crazy, and, and I'm willing to admit that, but I'm t if you remove the profanity, mm -mm. I get, no? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. It's, it's yeah, not I'm, just I'm the with Anthony on this it's, one. It's, look, he should have added more, but I don't think he's capable of that right now. He's what he's what he was expressing is a minute perversion of what our gender roles are supposed to be. Now, our gender roles are much bigger than cooking and a time to speak and a time not to speak. They're much bigger than that. But if he he. You literally had, I know he's six yeah. foot five, 250 pounds. Yeah. But you got to shrink him down to about 12, 13 inches. He's just a baby. He, okay. He weighs six pounds. Okay, okay. He's saying what a baby knows about a woman's gender role. That's all I'm saying. Gotcha, gotcha. And that's I, and my that's, argument. And, and the, but the, Don't you think he's doing more harm than good? Well, the pro that's the problem that I have is that we've got a baby speaking to a generation that says, if Cam says it, who wears his grandmother's scarves to NFL press conferences, if he says it and he has seven kids or five kids by a couple of different women and he abdicates the role model that he was given, it must be okay. I agree. Yeah. But but he also, to me, has, and again, I know this wasn't, this probably was a little bit of his intent. And okay. I agree with everything you just said. He's mm -hmm. just a baby. and But he's created an opportunity for some people that are further along in their journey to actually clarify and talk about what he said and explain it in a more biblical, healthy fashion. And, and, and I don't want to give him, well, at least he started the conversation, because I hate when people mm -hmm. say that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I hate when people I, say that. I actually think he may be doing more harm than good. I, I don't think that's what it is, Jason. I, I, I think what Cam represents is, you were talking about me and my marriage. The day I got married, before my wife and I walked out of the house to go on our honeymoon, my wife said, Jim, or excuse me, my mother said to me, Jimmy, how are you going to know how to take care of this woman? And I had to think about it for a minute because what she was actually saying to me was, what male role model are you going to use from your past to know how to treat this woman? Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is, I had no male role models that were worthy of my... Of, yes. And so I think that what Cam is doing, yeah, and this is what bothered me about Cam is because Cam has something that I really wanted growing up, and that was a father. I really wanted structure. I didn't want to have to learn everything by trial and error. Mm. And when you, when you have a father and you have a mother, and see, it, 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 in other words, just like you talked about with Jim Brown, he's talking the talk of what a man is supposed to be. But 
you, you just talking what your, you heard your daddy say about your mama, and that was his wife. See, you, you don't know what it takes to become a husband yeah. to even get this treatment, so you don't know what you're talking about. Jimmy, I, I just think... I, what, let me throw in one thing, because I'm friends with Jim Brown. <laughs> <laughs> he took my comments about Jim. Jim has a program of Mayor I Can. I'm Mayor I Can. Some yeah. of the guys in his program love to talk about the Mayor I Can program, and but, but they actually don't live it. God. So I, I, you know, anyway, I just need. Oh, to that's play. good. That's it's fine. No, I I just love what you're saying, Jimmy. Here's the thing, and this has got to come back to the church. We've got to disciple men in how to be men, how to love their wives, how to disciple their kids because they're not gonna be taught by any other place today. And so it's just so important that we come together with other men, put our arms around them, talk to them about how you can do it, and the real specifics. And, and, the, and I agree with all that. The point I'm making that I'm really, you know, is been at my heart for a year. You can't feed them, you can't lead them. And if we are uh, asking these men to go out into the world and face the choice of, you can talk that biblical stuff on Sunday if you want to, but in here, seven, six, five days a week when you're here, you better throw all of it out the window. And we tell you to put this gay pride, you better be out there yeah. dancing. Uh, gay. If we tell you to call him, her, and, and we t you better get on Twitter and act like you're in support of all this yeah. wickedness. I, I think you're exactly right. At the end of this month, uh, in Louisville, I'm meeting with a, a, a group of uh, ministers of churches. Anthony and I are both doing this. And uh, right now, we're, we're, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about, is how churches have to get real specific. Because right now, so many Christians, by peer pressure, are giving up their convictions on these issues to, to thrive in a company. Let me give you an example. It's, it's deeper than peer pressure, though, Bob, because I'm just... It's brainwashing as well. But it's, it's also a choice between, am I going to be able to pay my bills? Because they can't think of another way. And it's, it's no different. The, the thing I love about this show, and not that I would discriminate, because I've tried to hire people that uh, were agnostic and or atheists, because I don't put some religious standard. But I love the fact you can wear your Christian values on your sleeve every moment you're in this building. Yeah. No one's gonna shame you, no, no one's gonna hold it against you. And so it's allowing, to me, that's how you allow a flower, a man to grow, mm -hmm. is you put him on a foundation where he can boldly and fearlessly embrace his Christianity. And I just think we got men out here and women just in a very vulnerable position in their workplace. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And I think we've got to, we've got to work hard to train them to, to withstand the pressure, to, to know their rights, and somehow to avoid things. We've got to help them create new jobs. I'm so proud of my son that he has his own company. I've encouraged him that way uh, because that, that's going to give him a lot of opportunities where he gets to set the agenda. Let me give you an example of what you're talking about. Uh, there's a guy that I know uh, had been a part of our church. Grow, he had grown up. He'd become pretty high up in a national corporation. And I was sitting down with him not too long ago, and I was just you know, kind of getting to know where he's at. He's in Bible studies and things like that. And uh, I asked him, I said, uh, somehow he brought it up that he was fiscally conservative but socially liberal. And I said, so how are you with, uh, you know, embracing the LGBTQ lifestyle? And he goes, I'm, I'm fine with it. 
And then I realized when I was talking to my wife on the way home, he had to get to that position to have the high up position that he has in this corporation. So what Christ calls us to do, if we want to be great in the kingdom, uh, is we've got to start from the bottom and serve. And so in the world that we're in, if I'm trying to be on the top of that pedestal, you're right. I'd have to take on all of that. Um, but if I'm trying to be right with Jesus, yeah. I'm going to follow Jesus. And that's that's the lesson. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but that's the lesson that I give to, to people who've had rough starts, people who've had to serve their prison stints, because when they get out, that's what they see. They see I can get a good job or I can get a you know legal job and I'm making minimum wage and that's not really taken or I can do better at what put me in jail, you know, try not to get caught and make it a little bit quicker. And that's what that's not necessarily culture. That's the enemy saying this is the choice. And I'm telling people, choose Jesus and be bold enough and man enough to, to me. That's the man enough situation. Are you man enough to walk godly and trust him that this is going to be. You might not be a millionaire. You might not be most popular. You may not stand out as, but your kids are going to know what's right and wrong in the eyes of God, which at the end of the day, that's who matters. The people that are watching Cam, they are, and, and I hear you, you saying, you know, he's starting a conversation. He's getting people at least mature to talk. But there's a whole generation that's watching Cam that knows nothing about Jesus. And Cam is their Jesus. So, oh, okay, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a professional athlete or I'm going to become a rap icon. I'm going to make millions and I sleep with who I want to sleep with. And if we have so many kids, at least I got the money to pay for them. These people don't even have the money to pay for that. Uh-uh. We got to go back to Jesus. Yeah, you don't pay for kids. Can I just add that I, if I may, I agree with you that I think one of Cam's biggest problems is that he doesn't know Jesus. And he doesn't know the Bible because if he knew the Bible, then he would know that the Bible clearly states that you cannot turn a concubine into a housewife. <laughs> Solomon tried, huh? Uh, 700 times. <laughs> that's it and that's all for us. This, I, I was trying to do the show in under an hour and missed badly. <laughs> that was weird to do that to you. Yes, it will. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. For freedom, I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. I'm breaking my back for freedom. Bless, we are living, get back. We are receiving all the seed when we all wanna be free. We want freedom. I just want. I wanna be, I just want, I 